Psalm 131. Psalm 131. Psalm 131. One of the things I enjoy about the summer is I get to enjoy the, the quiet, the quiet of nature. Um, heading up to the Boundary Waters this this week, and I just the, an evening in the Boundary Waters when the when it is the the lakes are like glass. Um, there's nothing like that. Maybe the the call of the loons, and it's the only thing you hear. Actually, there's a conservative group that has mapped out um, the few places on earth where you can still have 15 minutes of natural silence free from human noise, and the Boundary Waters is one of those out of the entire world. Um, And I love it. And so I thought to look up what is actually the quietest place on the earth, and uh, it's not natural. It's actually created. It's it's a a chamber... um, and up until just a few years ago, it was the quietest place on earth. Microsoft created a, a, a new one, which is actually quieter. Um, it's, it's called an anechoic chamber. It means it's free from echo. The chamber is so silent, it actually is measured in negative decibels, which is amazing. And so they use it for scientific research, product testing, uh, actually, people have tried to, to sit in there. You can actually can book uh, a, in a, you know, a time to go in and sit in this thing. And they, they, you have to sit down because it's so quiet. Your body is used to being orientated around uh, spatial awareness, and you will lose your balance and fall over. So you have to actually sit down. Uh, one person actually was maxed out in the dark chamber for only 45 minutes. They could not handle any more beyond that. The founder says, when it's quiet, ears will adapt. The quieter the room, the more things you hear. You will hear your heart beating. Sometimes you will hear your lungs. You'll hear your stomach gurgling loudly in this chamber. You become the sound. Um, I kind of want to try this thing out (laughs) so I could hear the blood running through my veins. But isn't it it odd how, how quiet is such... A challenge. We, we are so accustomed to noise around us. So we actually struggle with silence. There was actually been studies done. One was looking at the use of technology and how we've also, our younger generations are learning this learned behavior of needing noise and they struggle with silence in turn. They observed over 500 undergrad student, students and uh, the article highlighted the, uh, the study wrote, beginning at infancy, the constant media landscape has provided the background noise, either the side of the bassinet, the kindergarten, the school, and the university. It is little wonder many of my students feel agitated and ill at ease when there is not at least one portal providing background noise. This, this need for noise causes trouble with quiet. Actually, a couple of the students were quoted, the lack of noise made me so uncomfortable, it actually seemed foreboding. When there's no noise in my room, it scares me. Calm and quiet. Silence. Does, does silence seem foreign to you? I know at times it's, it seems foreign to me. We certainly have a lot of noise around us, and I have seen in my own life this, an uncomfortability at times with silence and, uh, and also a longing for it. But, but here's the deal. There's all this noise going on around us, but we can have a lot of noise going on inside of us, within us. Busy hearts, busy minds, 
uh, treadmill-like rehearsing of what-ifs and when and where and hows. What's the the decibel level right now in the, the noise in your heart, in your thoughts? Busy hearts, noisy thoughts. Psalm 131 comes to us, and it, it's God's invitation for us to, to humbly come and to trust him. It, it's an invitation. It's a relational invitation for peace that's found only in him. And Psalm 131 helps us experience this by, by actually listening on David's prayer, a prayer where he seems to have found an answer to gain a quiet, calm peace in God. It's a very short psalm. Uh, I, I've grown to love this psalm. One of my favorites, I found myself praying and singing this psalm over this year in a very distinct way. It, it's one of the shortest psalms, and actually Charles Spurgeon called one psalm, psalm 131, one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest to learn. Shortest to read, but the longest to learn. Why? Why? Because our, our hearts... Our hearts left to themselves manifest noise. It's like an orchestra of noise. Yet in Christ, we can know true peace. And we want to, we want to experience that. I know you want to experience that. And so we're going we're gonna to listen to this prayer, this song, which only contains one command. It's really an invitation to join into this song and prayer to find peace in God, a, a quiet soul, a a calm soul. So let's read this together and then we will pray. Psalm 131, a song of ascent of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But, I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Join me as we pray. Well, Lord, we we come to you this morning, um, I know my heart is, is busy with things, there's, there's, there's noisy stuff going on, and, and Lord, I, I know I'm not alone, uh, we need your help today, we need your help to, to know a, a supernatural quiet and calm that comes by entrusting our life, our, our, our needs, our struggles, Lord, our future, the things that are right there before us to you, into your goodness, into your, your sovereign love. And, and Lord, we, we just sang this, this earlier, all our days are held within your hands, your perfect love and favor have no end. We rest within the wisdom of your plan, everlasting God. We, we want rest today. We want quiet and calm souls, and, and we know this comes by the work of your Spirit. So would you come, Lord, help us to sing this song and pray this song this morning in a fresh new way. Amen. Amen. 
Well, let's begin with considering a little bit of context of our psalm this morning. I mentioned it. You maybe noticed this little subscript here in your Bible, a song of ascents. Um, it's, uh, it, it falls within a collection of 15 psalms that are designated these songs of ascent, um, Psalm 120 to 134. Now, it's not exactly sure why uh, these were designated this, but it, it's possible that these psalms were sung by God's people as they, they ascended or journeyed from outlying uh, places in Israel to Jerusalem for various festi- yearly festivals um, to worship the Lord. Or, or they were connected to the, the, the Israel's return from exile to Jerusalem. Um, in all these views, the psalm captures this, this prayer uh, of a pilgrim uh, who's journeying to worship and encounter God. We, we see this in Psalm 122, verse 1. I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. The, 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 the house of the Lord was a place where we would encounter God's presence. So the psalm gives voice individually, but this was sung collectively as God's people. We see that in verse 3, this call, O Israel, hope in the Lord. It was a communal thing that was being done. Someone suggests it's Israel reenacting this new exodus with trust in God, the king, a deliverer, and as we trust in God's good law and his provisions, he leads us to perfected worship, God's gathered people in God's presence. And for David personally, uh, we could insert this psalm into a myriad of places in his life. Uh, We reflected last week on David's hiding in a cave and and Saul's evil pursuit to try to kill him. You could see this prayer echoing some of that. David's temptation as a king likely to to look to other nations or with fear or comparison or, or even a prayer in contrast to Saul's life whose pride was was his downfall. But David was a man after God's heart and he learned to find peace, a quiet heart with a with a confidence and rest in God's sustaining power and grace. So let's, let's consider this prayer, this honest prayer, this short prayer that, that enables us to see a move from pride and autonomy to trust in God. And the, the human heart, which though we're prone to noise, we were made for peace. And this is a prayer that will guide us to that. So the outline we're going to follow is just a reflection of three areas uh, in this very short psalm, what David confesses he doesn't do, what he says he does do, and then an invitation for God's people to do. So let's, let's work our way through this. This doesn't do. If the end is to find peace and calm in a quiet soul, David begins with a confession of the enemies of a calm and quiet soul. What does he not want? Uh, both the NIV and uh, NASB and some other translations, they interpret verse 1 as this. My heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. So not, my heart is not proud. It's not lifted up. Uh, and it's not haughty. My eyes aren't raised up and looking down on others or, or God himself. This is the truth. A proud heart cannot be a calm and quiet heart because it's always raging against God or others. The late David Pallison was, 
He was so illuminating, uh, helpful in illuminating truth in Psalm, in the Psalms by an approach that he would call the, the anti-Psalm. He would, he would basically rewrite it in the opposite. And, and I think this it helps capture the, the proud pursuit and the noise it induces. He, he, he writes this, what makes us so noisy inside? Turn the Psalm into its opposite, the anti-Psalm. It would sound like this, self, my heart is proud. I'm absorbed in myself. My eyes are haughty. I look down on other people. And I chase after things too great and too difficult for me. And of course, I'm noisy and restless inside. It comes naturally, like a hungry infant fussing on his mother's lap, like a hungry infant. I'm restless with my demands and my worries. I scatter my hopes onto anything and everybody all the time. And then he comments, noisiness makes perfect sense. I, I, have, uh, I have prayed this prayer. <laughs> I have believed this prayer. I've uh, lived out of this anti-psalm. And no wonder it's noisy. No wonder it's noisy because we're scattering our hopes on other things and other people, all of which are unstable and will fail us. So if we were all, if we were all honest, uh, our, our hearts at times and minds toil in this same sort of anti-psalm. We, we have noisy hearts. And, and David's confession connects to what would be his lack of calm and quiet, and he points to his pride in that. Pride toward the Lord, hidiness over others, self-consumed attempt to control stuff and people and our world. Noisiness, worry, anxiety. Recently, my family and I, we had a trip to the Black Hills to spend a good time there, and it was, it was beautiful. One of my favorite parts of our trip is we woke up real early one morning. We hiked this peak called Black Elk Peak. It's the highest point in South Dakota, some 7,000 feet above. It's one of the highest uh, points east of the Rockies, actually. It was about a seven-mile hike. It was, it was challenging, but it, the views up there were, were amazing. The, the rock spires jutting up into the, the sky. Um, on a clear day, you can actually see four other states from that peak. It, it's pretty amazing. Um, and when I got up there, there was a, there was a sense of, of like power. Like, I, man, I accomplished something. And being so high up, I had this, this vision that I've accomplished something great and I can see. But at the same time, I, there was a sense of fragility that was present up there. Um, the haze that you guys had, were experiencing, we've been experiencing here was over uh, South Dakota at that point. So what would be the four other states I could see, I, I couldn't see but just maybe a, a mile or two out. I, I just had these strange contours in the horizon. I I didn't know what part of what state or what land was what. There were these ominous shapes out in the distance. And then there was like these 40 and 50 mile an hour winds that day, gusts up, up there. Um, and it was very cold. Um, so I didn't get near any of the edges of those cliffs. It, it, was, it was scary. And I, 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 one sense of like I, can, I had this powerful experience, but it brought me to a place of feeling very powerless really quick. Small and tiny, and as I as I reflected on that experience, I, I realized that I 
I could do nothing to see any clearer. I could do nothing about the weather conditions. I only could just experience the power of that moment and feel small. I was not in control at all. I couldn't really see at all. And I, and I think that's really the case for us, too. We, we, we rise onto certain peaks, and we think we can see, and we can't really see. I mean, we're inundated with technologies and all this AI-generated prediction power, and, and the, the rea- reality is that we have no guarantee of tomorrow. We don't even know what tomorrow holds. We, 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 all our securities and, and insurances and savings and hopes in non-GMO diets, all of these things can be good, but they are not sovereignly, wisely, powerfully controlling our life. Yet we look to them for calm and quiet souls. And they have no power, they have no power to do so. I was, I was convicted by that Psalm 142 that, that uh, Pastor Justin Lockmarker did such a good job serving us last week. And David, as he's escaping into the refuge of his cave, he, the cave was not David's refuge. And yet I can so easily look at all of these things as my cave. And I, if I can just get in my cave, then everything's going to be okay. And David went beyond that, and he looked and cried out to God. He was not safe until he found his his rest and trust in the Lord. And yet we, we occupy our hearts with many other things other than him. And David, in his path of turning from pride to trust, he realized that it was not to give himself to certain concerns that were beyond him. Look at, look at verse 1, that latter part. He says, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. When you read that, too great and too marvelous, those, kind of, those things kind of sound like good things. Um, but David knew there were things that he should not occupy himself with. There are good things we can occupy ourselves with, but they are not the right things. See our repetition in, the, in what David is praying. My heart is not proud. My heart is not lifted up and haughty. My, I do not occupy myself it's a turning from something to something else. It's possible those things he or we occupy ourselves with that are too wonderful and too great are those, those secret things that Deuteronomy 29 speaks of. Let's look at this Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. What's going on in this text? Well, the context of this verse, Israel was, had been delivered from slavery, and they, God gives them his law and his commandments and the tabernacle for worship, and yet they didn't, they didn't go into the promised land out of disobedience, and they were left wandering in the desert, and God is renewing now his covenant with them, and Moses is urging them. He's going after their hearts. He's saying, keep covenant with the Lord. Obey him. And, and, and when you look back, it, you, you're not going to be able to make sense of all that has happened, uh, your deliverance and your wandering in the desert, yet trust him because God will provide as he has provided for you. And if you obey, if you trust him, there will be success. If you turn from him and you don't trust him, there will be curses. So look to the Lord. 
You won't understand all that will happen. This mystery, there are mysteries in his secret will. But if you trust the Lord and you do what he says, the things that he does reveal and show to you, you will be in his safe place. You, you will find rest. So trust him. Look to how he has and will reveal himself. This is what God was giving to Israel. They had boundaries, they had limitations, and they were to look to the things that God had revealed to him. The things beyond that, they were to leave to trust and hope in following God. And yet they pushed, they pushed beyond that once again. That was the cycle. And that, that can be our, our cycle as well. Our, our limitations are good. Our, our boundaries are there by him. Our gifting, our personalities, our limitations, if be job or money or the spheres and circumstances God puts us in. He is the creator. We are the created. And yet noisy, uncalm, unquiet souls often flow from pride, thinking that we, we're not okay with those things. We, we, we want to do it on our own. We, we're worried about the outcomes and controlling them. We overreach out of our boundaries. We, we lust and long for things that we don't have. We're occupied and consumed by what others think of us or what they can do to us. Things that we don't have any power over. David Pallison would comment later, he said, most of the noise in our souls is generated by trying to control the uncontrollable. We grasp after the wind. We rage, fear, and finally despair. Occupied hearts with the wrong things. Haughty eyes fixed on the wrong people. We are called to discern God's will, but there are things that we will never know. We do not know. And David is, is calling for his own, confessing of his own heart to turn from the things that, are, are, that he cannot do. He cannot control and to trust in the things that are in God's realm. This is the beauty and the power, I think, of what Augustine's confession was when he said, my heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. All of God's, this is the truth, all of God's good willing in our lives flows from his character, his perfection, his goodness, his holiness, his love, his justice, his grace. So there are revealed desires of God his, through his word and the gospel by the spirit to us. And then there are the mysterious decrees that, and plans that come to us. But we, all, we know that all of those are from his sovereign wisdom. We may not know why, but we as his children relate to him as king and God, but also as a father, as a loving parent. And this, this is where we see in our, our psalm this, this occupation with the things that are too great and beyond us and turning from pride to humble trust, relational trust in God. So what does David now do he says this, this beautiful metaphor of what he does to imitate a weaned child. Look at verse 2. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Notice the, this poetic parallel statement. A, a weaned child with his mother, so, so is the picture of what he wants and seeks for his soul to be within him, calm and quiet. 
So what is the picture we are, we're given here? Well, a nursing child, when, when hungry, can, can really only do one thing. It can cry, and then when near its mother, anxious for food, squirming, agitated, restless, rooting, fretting about, frustrated, eyes closed, just unable to lay still until it gets what it wants, namely milk. Yet in time, the child is weaned from nursing and maturity comes in how the child deals with their appetites and needs and how they relate to the mother. Now for mothers here, uh, you know this better than, than anyone in this room. I'm speaking because I, I have a wife and I've seen this and observed this and asked questions, but you guys know this relational connection that comes through nursing. It is a an intimate bonding, a closeness that, that is fostered in that act, a mother to a child, a child to the mother, as the child looks to the loving provision of the mother. But once a child is weaned, nursing, the child experiences a different trust and confidence in the mother's provision. They, they don't have to cry restlessly, fretting about. The child has confidence that the mother knows what the child needs to feed and to sustain them. There is rest knowing that food will come, that the mother knows me and cares for me and knows the timing of what I need. Of course, a two- or three-year-old has their moments of attitude and demand, um, but that child is confident to be able to crawl into the parent's lap and ask and to know and to rest and to be content. Trust is, is found in his mother or father and knows that they will care for, feed them, nurture them, and do what's good and best for them. So, with weaning, with maturity, the child engages and enjoys the person, the mom, not just a demand for milk. There is a maturing and a contentment in the relationship and knowing the character and the person. I think this is what we see here with David. David has found this within his soul. Frustrated, agitated, restless soul has been replaced with a trust and hope in God himself and his fatherly provision. We we are limited in our human demanding and seeing, and yet there is rest and confidence because God knows and we can look to him. We are the Lord's children, and he knows us. We are God's people, and he loves us. And trust in his love and his ways and his provision brings a peaceable contentment that our souls need. Calm and quieted soul. I don't, I don't know where the, the calm and quiet is for your soul or what restlessness or agitation is present for you, but Psalm, Psalm 131, it's, it's God's invitation for you to find rest. There's something you're just you're reaching out beyond that, that's too great, too marvelous for you, and the Lord is just asking for you to trust Him as a good Father. There's an amazing image of, of God in His profound care and love for Israel in Isaiah 46, which I believe maps into this invitation of a calm and quiet quiet rest in him. Notice the the parental imagery here in Isaiah 46 as the prophet speaking to God's people. The Lord is saying, listen to me, O house of Jacob, 
all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age, I am he. And to gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made you and I will bear you. I will carry and will save. I made you. I I carry you. I, I bear you. I will save you. These are God's promises to Israel. These are God's words to us. God would go on through the prophet in that chapter to contrast that trust in him with the empty and dumb and powerless vain idols that they were looking to for security and hope. And God tells them this in verse 9. I am God, there is no other. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done saying, my counsel shall stand, I will accomplish all my purposes. I'm God, and I declare the end from the beginning. I mean, he, he, he knows all things. He sees all things. This means he is sovereign, and nothing can thwart his good plans. And he uses all his sovereign good plans for the good of his people. John Piper writes, think about it for a moment. If God is sovereign and can do anything he pleases, then none of his purposes can be frustrated. And if none of his plans can be frustrated, then he must be the happiest of all beings. I would add, he would be the most calm and quiet of all beings. He would go on to write, however, if God was frustrated and gloomy and dismal and discontented, he certainly would not be happy. And as a child, no child wants to move towards a parent that is gloomy, frustrated, dismal, and discontented. No child wants to climb into the lap of that type of mom or dad. There's no fellowship there. There's no, no peace and quiet there. We avoid them. We don't want to bother them. Yet God can always be perfectly joyful and happy because his plans are never frustrated. And therefore, he then is a fountain of calm and quiet as well. And because he is infinitely calm and happy, this divine peace is what God invites you and I into. We're weaned from our proud self-trust into triune divine peace, calm and quiet. Isn't that that beautiful? I want that. I, I want that. And this is the invitation for us a pastor in the, the early 1800s, J. Williams, one of his writings or, or sermons, he captures this weaning to trust in him. He says, wean from what? Self-sufficiency, self-will, self-seeking, from creatures and the things of the world, not indeed as to their use, but as to any dependence upon them for his happiness and portion. Yet this experience is no easy attainment. Sounds a bit like Spurgeon, right? It is a difficult thing to obtain. Creatures and things of this world that are useful and we need them, and yet our dependence is not upon them for our peace and our calm soul. We turn to him for our happiness and portion. So it's not an easy attainment, but we, it is one we can have an experience. David does. We can, as we turn from our pride and we turn in faith, and in other words, placing our hope in Him, the Lord, our God. 
And this is where we see this invitation of calm and peace that, that David is confessing of his own experience. And we see now this invitation in verse 3 for all of us to turn to him. Look at verse 3. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. So wean from creature self-dependence for happiness and peace as we turn in dependence to the Lord. Hope in the Lord. That is what we need for a calm and quiet soul. Real, tangible trust and hope in the Lord. The things we hope in are the things we look to for a calm and quiet peace of our soul. It's an invitation that, that calls us by name. I love this, this, O Israel, this invitation, God's covenant people. And, and for those who are in Christ now, for us as Christian son or daughter, beloved disciple, this is, this is you. This is an invitation for you as his child to come and find hope in him. And it is, a, it, is a, it is a reality for present, it is a reality for tomorrow, and it is a reality for future. From this time, forth, and forevermore. For today, this afternoon, right now, calm and quiet peace in your soul. For today. And that is for what will weigh you down or come your way for a noisy soul tomorrow. And ultimately to the future forevermore. God in his mercy and his love, he comes to us and he exposes, exposes those substitutes in our life. That is God's kindness. When we we able to identify the noise, what, what is that thing, that false thing that I'm looking to, I'm squirming for, and God offers us and exposes that thing to a better provision. Confidence in God's presence by his word, through the Spirit, in what Christ has done in his gospel. Commentator Derek Kidner, he says, this last verse rouses us from contemplating David to following his example in that of his greater son. Not through introspection, but through being weaned from insubstantial ambitions to the only solid fare or food that can be ours And he quotes Jesus' very words, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. What are those insubstantial pursuits, those, those pursuits, those things we look to that are weak and flimsy and that will fall away, that are vain and empty for the food, the thing that will, the sustenance that we need that will give us calm and peace, and that is ultimately in Christ. And what Jesus did, what he spoke of, he fed on doing the Father's will. Jesus is our perfect example of a humble trust in the Father. Jesus was the, the one who sang this song and prayed this song perfectly. The, the greater song, son, the greater king whose heart was fully set on God's glory and a no selfish ambition of his own. He gave his heart to the Father's will and to Father's plan and to the Father's mission, even when he knew he had limitation of that. He told us that in the Gospels, and yet he trusted the Father, and he went as a servant to death, even death on a cross. And it's in that, that pain and that outpouring of, of all the ugliness and the curses of sin 
and rebellion that Jesus took upon the cross that he prayed, into your hands I, I commit my spirit. He entrusted himself, even that last moment, to the Father. And Jesus prayed this, this ultimate prayer, and in this suffering, and he took him, himself to the place of ultimate darkness, which then led to the defeat of Satan, the vanquish of death and of sin, so that all the enemies, saints, all the enemies of our quiet and calm soul would be destroyed. He has power over those so that all who hope in God could have eternally calm and peace in his presence. So this is the invitation we, we get to pray. The Lord, into your hands I commit this situation. Whatever that is for you. Some things are too wonderful for me, too great for me, and I, Lord, I don't lift up my eyes in pride or try to control those things. I don't try to search for things too great and out of my control, but I look to you. I set my trust and hope in you who works all things for the good of those who love him. That is what Jesus has done and provided for us. And there's a couple thoughts as, as we conclude that I, I think are helpful to remember in this, this weaning metaphor. First is that this is a learned process. A process of trust and growth and contentment is not easily learned, but it is something we learn as we grow to turn in faith to Christ. Well, Paul wrote in Philippians, he, he told them that he had learned the secret of contentment in Christ. Loss, abundance, hunger, plenty, but he learned the secret to, to trust himself to the Lord. And so it's not the absence of chaos, but sometimes it's in the midst of the storm that we, we look to Jesus who's able to speak and still the storm. And so it's, it's something learned, but it's also ultimately a work of his grace. When, when David prays, I have calmed and quieted my soul, it, this isn't just some pull his bootstraps up and some self-willing. It, it, it is a turn of faith, but knowing that it is ultimately a work of God upon him. The child is not the sole determiner to will the weaning and make it happen. He needs help outside of the child needs help outside of himself. And so we also turn in faith. We turn to him and we look to his grace. We, we, we say, God, free me from those things. I'm looking to myself and my pride. And, and Lord, let me taste and see that you are good. That you, Lord, will satisfy and give me a contented peace and help. Faith on knowing you who knows all things and does all things well. So weaning at times takes time, and it is also an enablement of God's grace. The quote I used earlier from Spurgeon, he said one of the shortest psalms to read, but one of the longest to learn, he, he follows that up and says, it speaks of a young child, but it contains the experience of a man in Christ. Saints, this is our experience in Christ, the, the Prince of Peace. He, he frees us and weans us from our limited, finite, miscalculated desires into a freeing, holy peace and trust in Him who loves us, who gave Himself up for us. We see this captured in 
Zephaniah, when the Lord speaks to God's people, he says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. Saying, will you, will you let the Lord quiet and calm your soul with his love this morning? Remember what he has done, what he has given up for you, the promises he has given you in his work. And because we are in him, we can have calm and quiet souls. Despite what we see, despite what we may feel in this moment, because his love is present today, it will be there tomorrow, and ultimately it will be there for us forevermore when we will know that calm and quiet eternally in perfection. Let me pray for us, Lord. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the, the promise, the promise that comes that, that you did not withhold yourself, but you gave yourself up for us. And because you gave yourself up for us, will you not, Lord, pour out all that we do need? And because we have you, Jesus, because we are in you, we're, we, we're men and women in Christ. It is a promise that storms around us, Lord, we could have a calm and quieted soul. So Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters where maybe there's some among us where the noise is, is so loud right now. Uh, God, speak your words of power and your words of grace, your words of, of sovereign goodness and love and affection. And, and would you still storms. Still the noise, Lord. As we, as we turn from the things that we may be seeking to control and try to define outcomes to, to resting in you, who, who is great and you are marvelous and you do all things well, Lord, for your beloved people. So give us rest. Give us peace. Give us calm and quieted souls in you today, Lord. Amen.